Welcome, traveler. You have entered the realm of adventure. Prepare yourself for tales from beyond the dice. On the planet of Triune, somewhere in a massive wasteland lies a futuristic megacity called New Etica. A gargantuan, sprawling city of tall, wondrous towers, busy neon lights like the shining pathways of a microchip, and the dark, perilous alleyways and densely packed apartment blocks filled with the downtrodden. The city's people are varied in a multitude of ways. Firstly, you must picture a multicultural fantasy city. There are orcs, goblins, humans, dwarves and elves, all living together in relatively peaceful terms. Now, propel that city into the distant future. Where castles, keeps, ramparts, town squares and muddy roads have been replaced with tall, monolithic skyscrapers housing corporate operations. Hovercars speeding through the air overhead whilst winding highways are filled with traffic and those people are living in clustered slum-like apartments. Now New Etica is surrounded by massive walls which protect the inhabitants of the Grand City from the dangers of the tormented wastelands that stretch out between the many smaller outposts and the various megacities which are few and far between. Now within those walls, towers, domes and other giant architectural marvels reach up through the smog and the haze towards the heavens. But beneath the skyscrapers, there are platforms connecting building to building like huge plates which seemingly have their own suburbs. Lower again and further out towards the wall of this vast city, it loses its glamour. The shoddy apartment stacks and overcrowded buildings have a sheen of polluted condensation and they've seen better days. The old hover rail systems are running late. The advertisements intrude on the vision of all of those who pass by. Darkhaven is the name of this large slum-like sector in which our stories begin. The neon lights might present a bright, fantastic future, but it can certainly get dark. A woman stands at the St. Belvere hover rail station in the broadside sector. The platform, it's well used, but it's clean, she thinks to herself, as she ignores the cross-cybernetics advertisement that is running across the hollow screens, trying to sell her a better pair of legs for jogging. A cleaner droid jitters by, its humanoid shape rigidly brooming the white-tiled floor, brushing the dust and debris from the last hour into tidy piles. The woman looks down at her arm. The augment, the cybernetic, beneath her skin activates from her motion. It projects all of the information that she needs at a glance. The current time, the punctuality of the hover train, and any incoming messages. The Darkhaven Corporate 
right on time, 16 minutes late, she says to herself quietly as the train slides into the station and stops the hover engines cool down with a whisper of a hiss. The glossy white train has some newly sprayed graffiti spelling out corrupt cops. She takes note. The doors shift open and the passengers on the platform shuffle in. The woman takes a seat and stares out of the window as she taps beneath her ear to enable her auditory augments. She likes to listen. You never know what you might learn on the train and it helps with her, uh, well, her other job. As the hover rail picks up speed with almost no sound, it shifts through the air, resting just above the magnetic rail that winds through the city like an old steel snake. Now the vista of the city is nothing special to her anymore. She remembers when she left Darkhaven for the first time. Her parents took her to Broadside District, where she now works at Omnitech. She remembers seeing the huge pyramid-like structure of Horus Industries for the first time. An amazing glossy black structure, which stands as a stark feat of design next to the more conventional buildings. She remembers looking out at the huge walls of the city, feeling protected. Now, she feels like a prisoner of this country-sized metropolis. Now, she knows what the city is really like. It isn't wondrous. It isn't fun. It isn't a marvel to her anymore. The woman's focus shifts, and she sees her reflection in the glass. She touches her pointy left elf ear. The audio augment directs towards a couple of passengers at the opposite end of the carriage, and she turns her head slightly to get more of an optimal position to hear the conversation. Mr. Pop, good job. Quick and easy if we do it right. Not super dangerous. Well, that's not to say he's in dangerous at all, but I just mean if Devlob doesn't screw things up again, we'll be fine. We just have him in the car. A quick getaway. You can't frack up a job by sitting in a car. Anyway, where's this job at? A gun dealer in Azuma. He isn't tied to any syndicate, and he's just gotten a fracking huge load of Nightwell Corp battle gear. Rifles, swords, shields, all that. And my source says he's got a new Hellmall 3177 edition. Frack. I'd like me one of those Hellmalls. Does he have any security drones? Chem guards? Anything? Yeah, actually. One of them chem guards. An orc named Vorbeck. But he's my source. What fools? <laughs> she thinks to herself. The woman taps on her wrist. The augments come to life. She searches a few keywords on the networks. Only she can see the results on her hollow vision. Searching. Vorbeck. Arms dealer. Gun store. Akuma Kabatai. Dark Haven. New Etika. She finds the weapon store. Hitachi Arms and Defense. She rests her arms on her lap and subtly swipes and taps through the air as if she was typing on a keyboard and touching a screen. She drops a message to Hitachi Arms in Defense and another to one of the mercenaries she contracts jobs for. Her merc will be waiting to put those two criminals and their driver six feet under and she will be waiting to collect the payoff from Hitachi Arms in Defense. She quickly rereads 
over the floating message and taps the send button in her private holographic interface. The woman rests her head back on the seat and smiles to herself. She turns and looks out of the window, glancing at the advertising screens that zip past as the hover rail train glides its way between buildings and gradually declines down towards Darkhaven. What an eventful and lucrative night it will be tonight. A dark night, bright fluorescent colours highlighting the packed city street. Elven symbols and common words advertising products, businesses and the like. Traffic jammed up, bumper to fender, like hundreds of colourful insects clustered in a line. An old truck covered in graffiti smashed into the side of an old sunset sky orange taxi. People running to safety. Some taking cover in their cars as bullets fly, piercing into the old delivery truck with a metallic thunk. Stay down! A paladin slams up against the other side of the truck. His heavily armoured exosuit dents the truck wall. He pulls free his battle axe with one hand and slides up the power activator. The chrome steel double-edged weapon ignites with a brilliant blue light as small arcs of electricity snake their way up the edges of the axe. The paladin's other hand is pointing towards the small goblin truck driver who is holding his shoulder, blood pouring from between his fingers covering the bullet wound. A quick burst of white light emanates from the paladin's pointing hand. The arcane energy coursing into the goblin. They'll be coming over here any moment now. They'll need your keycard for whatever cargo you're hauling. When they come, you'll need to shoot to kill. The Kasuto Mecha Syndicate don't spare lives. The goblin nods and pulls a compact red pistol out of his vest. The paladin in his mismatched, bullet-scarred armor nods at the small green citizen. This is why the Aegis exists. It aims to protect the people of Darkhaven from those putrid criminals who aim to control the streets. The paladin listens carefully. The Kasuta Mecha Syndicate members speak in Elven. I'll cover you, move up! They come in fast, four of them, lightly armoured. They didn't expect one of the rare Aegis Paladins to be patrolling this very street at this very hour. The paladin taps into that strange place where the arcane power lays in wait. He grips his battle axe and places it against his helmet. The white glowing energy emits from his hand. One of the criminal scum rounds the corner, submachine gun raised and ready to shred anyone in his way. He sees the paladin in his battle-worn, mismatching armor and pulls the trigger. A burst of ballistics sends the gun jerking up and the bullets slam into the armored figure of the paladin. The gunman's snarl grows into a smile and within mere seconds, it shrinks into a look of fear 
as the paladin simply dashes forward and buries the war axe into the criminal and rips it free, screaming, You unlawful filth are not welcome in the streets of Darkhaven! The other syndicate agents, these gangsters, move closely, ready to kill. The paladin checks the mirror of the truck, catching his prey in the reflection. Five more. Shouldn't take long. The new Etika Police Department sends three squad cars. When the officers arrive on the scene to find a truck covered in bullet holes, red hot battle scars made by a power blade and a crumpled streetcar billowing with black smoke, they see the paladin standing in the street holding a gangster up against the cracked window of a black SUV. They notice a few bodies of tattooed Gasuto Mecha syndicate agents laying on the ground, dead. An EPD! Put the weapon down! As the police officers close in around him, the paladin holds his war axe out in the air in surrender. I am a member of the Aegis in Darkhaven, on patrol. We don't give a shit who you are or what you're doing, you vigilante scum. Sir, put the weapon down and back away from him. You can check the street cam footage. I've done no wrong. I've acted in self-defense in the defense of these citizens. Other officers pick up the last living criminal from beside the SUV, dragging him through the street, and they push him into the police cruiser. The door slams as the officer turns back towards the paladin. The criminal, still shaking, sits in the back seat of the police car, staring at the caged bars of the cabin. Through the grid of steel, he sees the paladin, placing his axe on the magnetic grip of his armor and speaking with the NEBD officers. He looks out of the window at his fellow syndicate agents, dead, being covered in shiny silver plastic blankets, being carted away by a cleanup crew. He's thinking about nothing at all. All he hears is the quiet hum of the aircon in the cruiser. He places his cybernetic hand on his forehead and feels a cut. Hey! Hey! He is jolted out of his null thoughts. Yeah? Look, we didn't know there'd be a paladin on patrol here. Yeah? Or you're gonna have to tell Yashima that yourself. We don't pay you for nothing. The paladin looks into the cruiser's tinted windows. He can't see the criminal's face right now, but he will remember it. Whenever he hits the streets again, he will make him pay for escaping justice and harming the innocent. A stretcher goes by. A silver blanket fluttering in the wind. The goblin truck driver's face is exposed. His eyes open, dull. His green skin, pale and covered in blood. You didn't deserve this. Rest wherever you go. Rest with your ancestors. He loves looking out of his window. He can see Ultra Die Incorporated Tower, 
the pathetic slum Darkhaven, and he can see the Ellipse, his home. A huge wall-like structure made up of stepped buildings and towers owned by the richest of all those in New Etika. The Ellipse is central to the city and is a divide between the huge city sprawl, the place of his childhood dreams and the place of his soon to be realized future, Arcadia. As he stares down at the city below, he remembers going there to Arcadia as a child. His father, a former CEO of Braver Co, and his family have been invited to an event being held by one of the founding families. They weren't allowed to pilot their hovercar from their home in the Ellipse up and over into the paradise of Arcadia. They had to take an Arcadian transport through the correct gate that lies within the Ellipse. He doesn't remember how long it took, but to him, as a small child, he remembers it being hours. Now, in retrospect, it was probably only 30 minutes or so. But what does that matter? We got there in the end, and it was all they said it would be. He remembers the nature most of all. What he read about in school. Mountains, rolling plains of vibrant green grass, thick, beautiful forests, turquoise lakes with small, white sailboats floating on the water. He remembers his mother fainting at the sight of the extravagant manors, castles and mansions as their transport drove through the tame wilderness. They arrived at a mansion where the party was being held. Hundreds of people were being dropped off by luxurious transport cars to an incredibly opulent courtyard that sprawled in front of the white stoned building. Sorry to disturb you, sir, but your three o'clock appointment, Mr. Herbunder, is making his way up. He'll be here in around five minutes. Do you need me to bring you anything before your negotiation? No, thank you, Martin. I've got it all here. That bottle of Anlecky Vintage will do fine. He won't be happy with our offer, but frankly, it's all he's going to get with his little mishap with the Salsor Tribunal. Ah, that's fantastic news, sir. Just call me if you need anything. Thank you, Martin. Thank you. My pleasure, sir. He walks away from the window to his large black desk. He taps on the hollow screen and it all switches off. He picks up his comm slate and swipes. It's better Harbunder has no distraction of the outside world. His only hope is within this room. <laughs> the windows of his office tint from a completely transparent to an almost blackout glass. The lights in the room slowly brighten as he taps his comm slate and walks through his office, passing the various display cases filled with rare and expensive showpieces. He takes a seat on his armchair. He places his comm slate on the table between the chair and the couch across from it. The lights flicker for just a moment. What? He looks up towards the ceiling and out towards the dark windows, shaking his head. What is going on? The lights go out. 
This is ridiculous. He grabs his comm slate and taps on the screen. What's going on, Martin? The lights. He swipes frantically on his tablet to untint the windows as he needs some sort of light if he is to navigate his office. The windows untint. Martin? To show the sky and the gorgeous Martin sprawl of New Etika. Martin isn't coming, I'm afraid. He turns towards the direction of the voice. Who's there? A woman stands there in a tight black armored bodysuit. It's quite high tech, and her face is a mask of snow crash, black and white static. Who, who, who are you? Who are you? She shifts her stance in a motion so quick he almost didn't notice it. He goes to call out, but he cannot. He cannot hear anything at all. He steps backwards and bumps into his armchair. She lifts a thin rod and flicks it. He has heard about these razor filament whips. He screams out again and hides behind the armchair, trying to pull free the concealed pistol beneath it. The woman spins across the room, releasing a five-foot coil of deadly, sharp wire in a violent arc towards him. The armchair cracks and rips. He stops pulling at the pistol. He touches his neck as it slides away from his body. And he hears again. He hears a voice. You have made a profit of organ harvesting in Darkhaven, and the entirety of New Etika will find out when they come across your corpse. Akiosaib sends their regards. <gasps> Martin once again calls to Mr. Braver his boss, the CEO of Braver Co. Sir. The dwarf walks over to the doors of the executive office. He knocks. Sir. He knocks again. He knocks more frantically. Open up, sir. What's going on here, sir? He swipes his card. The lock on the door clicks open. Martin pushes the door open to find a dark room. Lights on. The lights light up. <gasps> All of the hollow displays come to life displaying evidence against Mr. Randall Braver, CEO. A gruesome pool of blood stretches out from the lounge area of the office. Mr. Braver laying in the scarlet puddle, separated in two pieces. His killer nowhere to be found. Hopefully, these small scenes have given you an idea of what sort of environment and setting this show takes place in. The beginning of Beyond the Dice will take place in Darkhaven, the slums of New Etika. Our players will be playing mercenaries doing dangerous jobs for credits. We will be using Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition with some homebrewing that lends to both cyberpunk and sci-fi but still lives perfectly in a fantasy-based setting. Season 1 of the podcast will take place in New Etika. It will follow that team of mercs fighting their way through everything that this cyberpunk adventure can throw at. Season 2 is a little different. 
It is a completely unrelated story based in a small country town called Tree Reach, and it follows a group of young teens as they solve a mystery. Season 3 picks up where Season 1 left off, in New Etika. We meet back up with our old mercenary buddies and begin a new quest with a hulking new teammate. Thank you for uh, downloading the show. We hope you enjoy it going forward. The old prologue was uh, was done as a test in order to um, to learn how to produce a podcast and put all the sound effects and music into the show and be a starting point for what the show has become. Please make sure you uh, follow us on Instagram at Beyond the Dice. Head on over to our website, www.beyondthedice.com. We have a store. And it is at store.beyondthedice.com. There's lots of merch over there. And it's not just our podcast-related merch. It's some D&D-related merch and some other sci-fi and RPG-related merch as well. You can find us on YouTube, on Twitch. We stream sort of map-making and some games every now and then. Find our Discord. All the links to these are below and on our website. Thank you, my cyborg friends.